We've been going through John's gospel, and the text before us tonight provides us with a pretty grand opportunity to consider this question, what is the nature of Jesus Christ? And we have the privilege of doing it, not from the perspective of our opinions, but from an examination of his own claims. So let me call your attention to John chapter 14, and we'll begin with verse 7, just a few verses tonight. This is where we left off. John 14 and verse 7, and take a look at what Jesus said about himself. He said, and he's speaking to his disciples at this point, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Folks, if you think about it, it may very well be that that statement was perhaps amongst one of the most shocking things Jesus ever said. Because if you think about it, he essentially said, if you have seen me, you have seen God. Now, I want to tell you, those are words no mere man would have the audacity to claim, and yet that's exactly what Jesus claimed. He's claiming, in effect, to be the visible representation of the otherwise invisible God. Now, that would have shocked the Greek people of the day, for they had a notion of God. They referred to him as the invisible one. That was the Greek notion. You don't get to know God in bodily form. He has no human representation. That's what the Greeks thought. And the Jewish people were even more determined to protest any insinuation that God would appear transcendent deity and fleshed in the form of man. In fact, the Jewish thinking was no man has ever seen God at any time. And this notion of the divinity of Christ, this claim that he made was hard to receive, therefore, by Greeks and by Jews and even by those who should have known better, the Lord's closest associates, disciples. And so you can see this in the very next verse in our text, John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip, one of his close followers, said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So Philip is missing the whole point. He's essentially saying, Lord, seeing is believing. Just reveal the Father to us. You're, you're fine. We, we appreciate you. You've been our guide and our shepherd. But now, now get out of yourself. Would you, uh, Rabbi Jesus, would you just simply reveal to us God, the unseen Father, and that will just lay this philosophical discussion to rest. We can settle this matter, this, this misunderstanding about you claiming to be the visible representation of the unseen God. Just show us the Father and we will be fine. Now, the Lord had declared to them on more than one occasion previously that he was the visible representation of the invisible God. And he called upon them to believe what he said. But Philip, representing the others, I'm fairly certain, essentially said, well, well, Lord, we want to believe, but seeing is really believing. And 
Well, we're not seeing enough, therefore, let us see the Father. And in verse 9, Jesus, here's his response, said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Even the Lord's closest associates couldn't wrap their finite minds on these lofty and profound truths. It was rough for them to fully realize whom Jesus is, and I take it you and I are in the same quest to apprehend the fullness of deity in human form. And so they didn't fully grasp what John the writer said quite boldly earlier in his gospel. Maybe you remember this. We were here a million years ago. John chapter 1 verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So John tells us there that the otherwise unknowable God has been made known through Jesus Christ. So folks, Jesus saved us not only from the penalty of sin, but he also saved us from the sheer and utter despair of not being able to know the otherwise unknowable God. Jesus saved us from this mad speculative quest to figure out who God is and what he is like. Jesus came for the specific purpose of revealing God to us. But how is he the one most qualified to do so? John told us in the verse I quoted, John 1 verse 18, he is in the bosom of the Father. So what does that mean? Whatever else it may mean, it most certainly means at the least intimacy. This Jesus, the Son, had from eternity eternity past, closeness, and a relationship, and intimacy with the otherwise unseen God nobody else has ever had. And therefore, he is the most qualified one to reveal him to us. In fact, John in 118 uses this closing phrase, he has explained him. There's a Greek word there, it's exegesis. Maybe you've heard about it? Exegesis means lifting the meaning of Scripture out of it. Not reading into Scripture, but lifting the meaning out of it. And this is essentially saying this Jesus exegeted the Father. He explained him. He revealed him. He clarified him. He revealed him to us in visible fashion. The Lord Jesus, who has been in the bosom of the Father, has lifted the essence of the otherwise unseen God, transcendent deity, and brought him close to us in his own human person. That's what he's done. We cannot know God unless he chooses to reveal himself to us and Thank God he has chosen to reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we read, for instance, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Boy, we are in the Christmas season. It's magnificent. What an opportunity to remember the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. And folks, all the essence of deity are contained in the babe born in Bethlehem. 
who grew to be amongst us and demonstrated his divinity in word and in works so as to reveal to us the otherwise unseen God. Now think about this. I didn't come up with this. Somebody else did. But this is a very intriguing quotation. In religion, man strives to reach up to God. But in revelation, God has condescended so as to reach down to man. If you think about it, that means our faith is about revelation, not religion. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God to man, and that revelation has absolutely altered our lives now and on into eternity. We're not religionists trying to access the unknowable through speculation, philosophy, and good works. We are ones who by faith have laid hold of the Lord Jesus Christ who God condescended in the form of man so that we can cease our speculation and ideology and philosophy and mad quest to lay hold of God because God has come to lay hold of us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord continues his, I think, very calm and kindly response to Philip at the end of verse 9 of chapter 14. He who has seen me, says the Lord, has seen the Father. What a shocking statement. How can you say, he says to Philip and the others, show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father. He's appealing to them simply to believe his words. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But here's an alternative. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. The highest form of faith is simply to take Jesus at his word. But he knows we're human, and we struggle, and therefore he has bolstered up his words with works. In fact, every miracle he performed which sometimes we take out of context and think they're freestanding miracles. Everyone was an attesting sign, attesting to the fact that Jesus is in fact God. Every time he healed a blind man, everyone he helped a lame person to walk, when he walked himself on the water, when he multiplied loaves and fishes, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, these are not disconnected miracles, theatrics, and dramatics. Every one of these says, look at this. If you cannot take my words at face value, let me help you. I'm confirming what I've said with what I've done. So he said to his disciples then, he says it to us now, if you cannot believe because of the words, then believe at least because of the works. The disciples should have believed his words because as he said, they were the words of the Father. But if this was too much for them, they should believe his words because of his works. And here again are his very clear words. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Jesus declares that he is the visible representation of the invisible God. Folks, we've got to get this right. This is who Jesus said he is. But sadly, not everybody accepts this. In fact, I want to give you a sampling 
of alternative points of view held by major faith bodies with regard to the person of Jesus Christ. For instance, one group says he was God's firstborn, a good man, and he indeed accomplished great things, but he is not God. This is what Mormons believe about who Jesus is. He is a God, a God, but not fully God. In fact, he's a created being. This is whom Jehovah's Witnesses say he is. Now, if you're getting offended because I'm naming all of these groups, I'm simply telling you what they would tell you themselves. I'm not editorializing anything. For instance, another group says he's a man just like we are, no better, no worse. This is who the Unification Church of Reverend Moon says he is. God always was, but the existence of Jesus began at conception. Therefore, he is not God. This is who the Way International says Jesus is. He is a prophet and a messenger of God, but he is not God. This is whom Muslims say he is. He's a great teacher of morality. This is who the Unitarian Church says he is. He is a mystic medium, a guide to self-actualization. This is who New Age thinkers say he is. He is a psychological, get this one, he's a psychological projection of our needs. We all need someone to lean on, therefore we have created the mythical character of Jesus to lean on. This is who Carl Jung, one of the pioneers of psychoanalytic theory, says Jesus is. They're wrong, folks. They're dead wrong. Jesus said, uh, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And if you can't believe my words, believe my works. It is very important that we be right about whom Jesus is. Because if we're wrong about who Jesus is, I believe we will be dead wrong about everything else that matters in life. Folks, it is simple. Jesus is God. And I would like to call your attention to something to bolster up that point. Something else, John, the very writer of this book we have been so intensely studying, something this same John said in another book he wrote, Revelation. You may not know that the gospel writer of John is also the writer of the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, there John recorded a direct quotation from God. And here it is. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, this is not Jesus speaking here. This is Almighty God speaking. And he refers to himself there, as you can see, the Alpha and the Omega. What does this mean? Well, those, did you know this? Those are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. They're the equivalent of our A and Z, Alpha and Omega, first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. There is nothing before Alpha. There is nothing after Omega. So it is with God. Hence, he uses this 
expression. He is the beginning. He is the end. He alone was when nothing else was. He always has been and he always will be. Nothing preceded him and nothing will outlast him. This is what it means to be God. Therefore, only he can lay claim to this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And such the Father did in the passage we just shared. But notice this. The same Apostle John, towards the end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, records another quotation. It's this. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha, here we go again, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now you may be surprised to know that that second quotation is attributable not to the Father, but to Jesus, the Son. This is not a Rothberg interpretation. Back up to Revelation 22, verse 16, if you'd like, and you will see who's doing the talking here. This is Jesus, the Son. What is the point of all of this? It is this. You can deny that Jesus is God. Many do. But you cannot deny that he claims to be God. That is not acceptable. You can, it's a free country, you can deny the deity of Christ, but you cannot say, so did he. You cannot say he never laid claim to deity. If you think so, you're reading a different book than the Bible. He called himself what the Father did, Alpha and Omega. And you cannot deny, even if you question the words of Jesus as his early followers themselves did, you cannot deny the miraculous works he performed. It substantiates his claims. This is once again what he said in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Folks, we do not rest our conclusion about whom Jesus is merely on the basis of the claims he himself made. In addition, he did the works of God. For instance, notice what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. With regard to Jesus, we read, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For, get this, by him all things were created. Now how could he be anything less than God with that attribution? He's the agent of creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. Folks, Jesus did the works of God because he is God. He not only claimed to be God, he not only did the works of God, he possesses the attributes of God. For instance, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere, all the time. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, how could he do that? Unless he was omnipresent. Think about it. 
two or three Christians, believers, followers of the Lord, gathering together worldwide in all days and at all times. And Jesus said, when that happens, I'm there too. He is omnipresent. Secondly, he is omnipotent. Another characteristic attributable only to God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. He is ever-present, and he is all-powerful. He's omnipresent, he's omnipotent. Furthermore, he's omniscient. These are things that can only be said of God. He is all-knowing. John chapter 16, verse 30. Maybe we'll get there one day, although I'm doubtful. Now we know that you know. That's what they said. We know. They said this to Jesus. Now we know that you know all things. That's the quality of omniscience. Folks, when the first Christians, our early brothers and sisters, began to go about and with enthusiasm and personal sacrifice, uh, declared to people that Jesus was God, when they did that, they began to come under attack. They were persecuted. I mean, after all, how could one born of a woman's womb, the teenage Jewish girl Miriam, who we referred to as Mary, <laughs> how could he be how could he be God? How could one whom died on the cross was subjected to this Roman form of criminal execution? How could he be God? All this was, this claim that Jesus is God was not only foolishness, it was scandalous in the day. How could Jesus be God? Well, let me ask you this question. How could he be anything but God? how could Jesus be anything but God? Let me tell you what I mean. Many people say, well, he's a good man. He's not God, he's a good man. That is one thing Jesus could not be. He could not be a good man if he claimed to be God and was not. That would not make him a good man, that would make him a liar. If someone claims something of themselves, knowing it is not true, the claim they made, you can't call that person a good anything. That person is a liar. So one possibility, if you deny the deity of Christ, is that he is, in fact, a liar. He claimed to be God, yet was not. Folks, a good man is the one thing Jesus could not be. He couldn't be a good moralist, a good teacher, a good prophet. He can't be a good anything if he claimed to be God, but is not God. Now, a lot of people put off this discussion by saying, I'm happy that you followed Jesus. He's good. He meant good. He was a good teacher. He stood for good. No, no, no. He was a bald-faced liar. If he claimed to be God, but was not God. He cannot be good if he claimed something that was not true. But then you might say, yeah, but what if he claimed to be God, but he wasn't aware that he was not God? Well, then that would make him not a liar. That would make him a lunatic. I mean, people do that all the time, don't they? I am God. You have sympathy with folks like that, but you don't bow down and worship folks like that. You give them medication. That's what you do. 
So you, some people will say, oh, I don't want to make Jesus out to be a liar. That's so harsh and abrasive. I'll just say he was deranged. He made a claim to deity, not realizing he was just a man. So he's either a liar or he is a lunatic if he knows he is uh, not God, yet claims to be God, he's a liar. If he is not God, but claims to be God, but doesn't know he's not God, then he's, he's a lunatic. Those are the options. He's a liar or a lunatic, or there's a third option, and here are your choices. The real Jesus, there are no other choices. The real Jesus is either a liar <clears throat> or a lunatic, or he is Lord. You can have this discussion with folks. Uh, it's a good discussion. There are no other options. Don't allow people to get away with, he was a good religious leader. No, if he's not God, he's a liar or a lunatic. So who do you say he is as we near the wonderful Christmas event? If you deny he is Lord, do you do so because you have more evidence supporting the fact that he is either a liar or a lunatic. If so, I would like to hear your evidence. Please show me the evidence. As you examine his words, ways, and works, show me the evidence supporting the alternative theory that he's a liar. Or show me the evidence as you examine his word and ways and works uh, that he is a lunatic. Who do you say Jesus is? This is the most important question for which we must come up with the right answer. The reliable biblical record, there is no time tonight, and this is not our purpose, to prove the reliability of Scripture. It can be done from a factual, not faith, from a factual point of view, uh, we could prove the veracity, truthfulness, the reliability of Scripture. The reliable biblical record of the life and the words and the works of Jesus Christ ought to be enough to persuade any thinking person that Jesus is in fact whom he claimed to be. So that when one encounters Jesus Christ, one is in fact encountering none other than God himself. Now folks... I make one statement in closing. We have to get this right, and I'll tell you why. We have a horrific sin problem. You and I and every human. We're conceived in it. We inherit it. We manifest it. We like it. We have a huge sin problem, and we are desperately in need of a pardon there are all kinds of needs today that are distracting us from that most ultimate need. Today, people are talking about the need to clean up the air and the need to deal with global warming and all that, and maybe these are real issues, but these are not the big issue. The big issue is my sin is a huge problem. It overwhelms me. I can't do a thing about it. And if God is the sinless Holy One, my sin has erected a barrier between he and I. My huge problem is that I'm alienated from the God who made me. That's the big problem. Not that uh, the air is not as clean as it should be and all that other kind of stuff. 
The huge problem is my alienation from the God who made me. Now I have a big sin problem and I need a pardon. And here's the point. Only God has the authority to grant it. Therefore, I have got to rightly identify whom God is because nobody but God has the willingness and the authority to forgive my sin. Folks, Jesus is God, the babe born in Bethlehem, whose birth will be ignored during this season by most and whose birth will be uh, 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 deferred as we think of Santa and all the rest instead of Savior. But that babe born in Bethlehem is God. You have got to be right about it. Believe his words, if not believe his works. Jesus rose from the dead. That is a factually supported claim. It is not a faith statement. It is a factual statement based upon available evidence. Empty tomb, post-resurrection appearances. Nobody can do that but the God of life who has supremacy even over death. If you cannot bring yourself to believe the words of Jesus, please wrestle with the works of Jesus. He rose up from death. The Christmas event will give way in a few months thereafter to the resurrection event. He was God incarnate, the Christmas event, and he is God who won victory over death, the Easter event. If you cannot believe his words, please believe his works. Nobody but God can resolve your fundamental problem and mine. It's sin for which we need a pardon because it's like oil and water. A sinless, holy God cannot mix with sinful people. We cannot dwell in his eternal heaven while we have an unresolved sin issue. Jesus can forgive it. Jesus can pardon it. Jesus obtained forgiveness of our sin. He washed us clean through his shed blood. Only God can do this. Only God has a will to do this. If you minimize and pare down whom Jesus is, you're left in your sin. Don't do that to yourself. The inexpressible gift of Almighty God was to have sent to us himself in enfleshed form. Why? God cannot die, but the God-man offered himself on a cross so as to die that you and I might live forevermore. Folks, you've got to be right about whom Jesus Christ is. The common denominator with all aberrant religions, cults, and other faith groups is that they're wrong about whom Jesus Christ is. You gotta get it right. These few verses tell us the claims of Christ. If you see me, if you behold me, you behold the unseen God. Wonder no more, wonder no more. Walk right into his loving embrace by faith and say, Lord Jesus, please grant me this pardon which I am so sorely in need of. Would you give me the best Christmas gift I ever could have imagined? I never received it. I wish to receive this inexpressible gift 
of pardon and reconciliation with the Father through your shed blood, I wish to receive that tonight. Lord Jesus, that is what we pray for any here tonight or watching who have not yet taken you up at your word. You are the imparter of forgiveness and cleansing and the mediator of a relationship between us and almighty God. Only you could do it, having been forever in the bosom of the Father and having condescended to become like us. You are both the Son of Man and the Son of God. You are human and divine. Therefore, you can connect with humans, and you are in the bosom of your Father to whom you are connected in eternity past and forevermore. Oh God, would you hear the cry of those even here tonight who feel a horrific sense of alienation from you due to sin. Oh God, hear their prayer, those who say, I have sinned in thought and word and deed. Lord Jesus, forgive me, please. I believe you have I believe you desire to enter into my life and to make me new. In fact, a son or daughter of God. I believe you have a desire for me to dwell with you and your father throughout eternity. I accept you as the mediator of a new relationship with the otherwise unseen God. This I pray in Jesus' name.